welcome to Asia Rising. I'm Nick Bisley, the Executive Director of La Trobe Asia, and with me to talk about the Indian election results is Dr Ian Wolford, the Head of Hindi and South Asian Studies here at La Trobe University. Yeah, good to see you, Nick. It's an exciting week. It's an astonishing week. Now, everyone thought Modi was going to win, and they thought he'd do very well. But I don't think anyone predicted that he was going to win by this much. I don't think there's a single opinion poll that, that put the win this strongly. All of them were saying Modi was definitely going to win. We never know how to trust the polls. They've been very unreliable in the past. But the just the huge nature of, of his win and the, the utter decimation of the previously ruling Congress party is, uh, well, the numbers were, they were hard to believe at first. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I remember... When we had our seminar a month or two ago, it was all, Modi was doing well, but the real question was much less about was he going to win, but what kind of coalition is he going to have to stitch together? And it looks like what's been the norm in Indian politics, you know, coalition governments and complex kind of negotiations between the regional parties and everyone else, that's all out the window. It certainly looks that way. Uh, people are arguing back and forth whether what this means for the rise of regional parties and for coalition politics. I think the consensus is that it's not over, although certainly for the formation of this government, uh, Modi's party, the BJP, has an outright majority in and of itself. They got, I have the numbers right here, 282 seats, and they only need 272. So this is a huge win. And when you add in their coalition partners in the, in the NDA, um, it's just a c- clear majority for Modi and his They've allies. They've got nearly 400, haven't they, with, with all the allies, with the, the various it's, allied parties? It's 336 wow. total. Yeah. So, And this is the largest majority of any ruling party since in 1984, Congress had, an, I think it was near near 400. So it's a big deal. It's, a, it's striking not only the size of his win, but the size of the collapse of Congress. I mean, you said Congress had it's 400 a, then. It's a utter decimation of the Congress party. And I, again, I don't think anyone saw it this much. They lost... Let's see, before they had 262 seats, they lost 162 seats plus. So the Congress only has 44 seats at the moment. And with their coalition, they have 59 seats. In fact, they don't even have enough seats to have a formal opposition leader. I just didn't see that happen. So they don't even qualify to be a... An opposition. There's uh, an actual formal post of opposition leader that has a status sort of equal to one of a, a cabinet member, basically, but you need 10%. So they'd need uh, 54, 55 seats, and they didn't even meet that threshold. So it's a, a humiliating defeat for Congress. And what about what everyone thought might have been a bit of an insurgent campaign? Kejewal's party, the AAM, they seem to have been kind of steamrolled in a lot of respects by the success of the BJP and that you seem to have a lot of voters go from Congress straight across to BJP and not spread out. What do you think was behind that? I don't think we've heard the last of Kejriwal's Admi party. It definitely didn't do as well as they would have hoped. They had a few successes in the state of Punjab. They actually did quite well. Uh, they didn't do as well in Delhi as they'd hoped. Uh, incidentally, the leader of the Am Admi party, the AAP, um, Kejriwal is, I don't know if he's out of jail yet. He was just jailed today for some things that he said against a BJP leader. And he, they could have posted bail, but he's very dramatic, so he decided to stay in jail. But it's these sort of antics that I think people seem to have gotten fed up with. When he was in the, the chief minister post in Delhi, he famously resigned it after 49 days to do this national campaign. Their signature issue was corruption, and I think they successfully injected this into discourse over the election. This very much became an issue, and I would credit them with that. And I don't know what the future holds of them. I don't think we've mm-hmm. heard the last of them. I was reading something the other day where Kejriwal is being quoted as saying quitting that chief minister post was a mistake. People got a bit fed up. Supporters felt like they'd been kind of let down. He's um, officially apologized as of, yes, he says it was a mistake and is hoping to reform another government in, in Delhi. Delhi. Very curious to see what happens with that. So why do you think Modi and, and the BJP did so well 
what is it that led, do you think, to this just huge, quite yeah, unexpected result? I think most people agree that it's a combination of the utter failure of the Congress party over the past 10 years to, to capitalize on these so-called liberalizing economic reforms of the 90s. There's been a real stagnation and then a, a general sense that the former prime minister, Manmohan Singh, is just an ineffective leader. This is generally how it's characterized. So you have that, plus you can't underestimate the public's desire to have someone they perceive as a strong and charismatic leader uh, in the prime minister's seat. And Modi definitely is that. He's extremely charismatic uh, and people view him as quite strong. So, so those two factors together. Yeah, I've, I've been reading a little bit about how people say this is very much a vote for Modi and not a vote for the BJP. And that in some respects, this is not only as is often being trumpeted, you know, the largest democratic exercise in human history, but it's also the first kind of presidential style campaign in Indian politics. Yeah, and you mentioned this is the largest democratic election in, in human history. Pretty much every every five years, India gets to have the largest election in human history. 800 plus million eligible voters. They had a huge turnout, the largest turnout they've ever had of over 500 million voters. So this definitely was the largest election ever held, uh, which is amazing to watch in and of itself. He did something unusual for his party. There was opposition to his, his candidacy from within his party, but obviously overcame that. And then he very much uh, ran on his own personality. The BJP in the past tends to have, they put up their posters and they'll have a, a committee of, of leaders on the poster. And there's definitely an idea that you're voting for a party. Modi definitely made this about him. And this was clearly a, a smart decision on this part. It's amazing that he's able to do it. I mean, he had an amazing social media campaign, uh, amazing mobilization, especially of youth voters that um, voted uh, more for him than they did for, for the Congress party, which is a huge achievement. Uh, and it was very much a, a presidential style referendum, absolutely. Yeah, because I think one of the abiding images of the campaign was those masks. You know, you'd, you'd see these huge campaigns and then all, all these BJP activists and supporters with their Modi masks on. It's, and yeah, they the, look almost creepy, but if yeah, you watch videos, yeah, they have Modi masks. They're especially creepy when people hold the masks on, put the masks on the back, back of their heads. Yeah. So that, but yes, but I think it shows again the pull of, of this leader. People are just really enthralled by him. And do you think that they also not only capitalized on a pretty decrepit government, and disillusionment with that because they did run a super slick campaign and ve at lots of different levels and they seem to be completely outmaneuvering congress you're absolutely right there and one of the most obvious uh, example we can give is, is modi's and the bjp's use of social media modi has upwards of four million followers on twitter i think he's the second or third most twitter followed political leader right now on the planet. And Rahul Gandhi, who's not officially, but was basically the, the Congress prime minister candidate, uh, doesn't have a Twitter account, which is really, really? boggle. It, it, he Why really not? doesn't. And it, it boggles the mind. And it's almost embarrassing. So it's very, when we're talking about harnessing the, the youth vote, it's very difficult, I would say, to be young and a Congress supporter and look cool online because you can't even follow your candidate. Uh, and Modi, he engaged with his followers on Twitter. He posted regular updates and would even uh, talk to people. It wasn't just a broadcasting platform for him. It was definitely a way to engage with his voters. And do you think this is going to be a bit of a, a line that's to say, if you want to be successful in Indian politics now, you're going to have to play in the social media game? One of Modi's advisors, Swapandas Gupta, was just down in Melbourne and gave a talk. And one of the things he said that Modi said to him in private, oh, we can't have any BJP candidates that don't have at least 50,000 followers on Twitter. So this is clearly something that Modi is thinking, that this is an essential, uh, this obviously isn't something he's implemented now, but it's on his mind. He, he's trying to change the face of the way campaigns are conducted. Yeah, because you've got that changing 
electoral landscape in India is you're getting more people moving to the cities, you're getting more people who are clearly supportive of things like economic growth and the kind of vote bank politics looks like it might be beginning to recede to some degree and some sort of complex new uh, developments occurring. If that could happen, I, most people would agree that would be a good uh, development. Vote bank politics, of course, refers to the, the practice of, of appealing to smaller minority groups in, in regional areas and whether or not in order to get votes. The classic example being people often accuse Congress of playing vote bank politics with the Muslim population in India. And I think most people agree that this isn't healthy for the country. Modi certainly says so. Uh, and I think in, in attempting to nationalize the election, if, if that could be one result of this, it would be a very good result. To turn then to the regional parties, because certainly under Congress for the, the UPA government, the regional parties had been, in the recent past, the real winners, you know, been able to dictate everything from foreign policy to spending commitments and this sort of stuff. How do you see the election playing out for them? Are they being pretty seriously undermined? Is it a temporary blip? I don't know myself. Some people have argued that this is just temporary. And then when you look at the actual numbers, say the percentage of the overall vote that the BJP got, they got 30 to 31% of the national vote, which I suppose in terms of things could be said isn't that high. If you have 70% of the population voting for Congress, which got 19%, or some of the regional parties. So it would be incorrect to say the regional parties aren't extremely important. That said, I don't think it in any way diminishes the historic nature of this upset. Uh, India has not seen anything like this. Congress has been in power for most of the years since independence. Uh, and when they haven't been, it's always been a cobbled together coalition that has been ruling, which is not what we're seeing now. But I guess because it's so new and because it's un it, it's it's so distinctive, it's very hard to tell. Is this a one-off and everything is going to recede back to the norm? Or is this resetting the clock? So it's, it's kind of hard to tell. But it, it, you're also seeing already kind of maneuvering what they've got into cabinet offices and various other things. Is there What have you seen so far in your watching of the kind of government formation process? Oh, I can't pretend to understand uh, <laughs> cabinet formation in India at all. A lot of this is happening behind closed doors, although I think he, he is trying to at least project an image of this not being backroom dealings, but trying to let people know what's happening. There are questions of there's people in the senior BJP leadership who effectively Modi stepped over to take this post. Is what role are they going to have in the government? And that's one of the main questions people have. When you talked about the assets that you have, though, again, I think one of the main assets in this changing landscape is the the younger vote. Just a huge number of these votes. 23 million of the new voters were 18 to 19 year olds. So these are new voters, 20 million of them, and they broke for the BJP. So in terms of building this and in terms of an asset, I'm sure the party is going to be seeing that as something they're going to be able to sustain, given that fact. First-time voters have been brought in and, and buying into the, the BJP story. Yeah. That, and that's interesting, given historically the BJP is associated with a very particular part of Indian society, that Hindu nationalist, and we certainly saw that last time they were in government in the late 1990s under uh, Prime Minister Vajpai. So for, for the BJP, there's a kind of bit of a challenge of being pan-Indian and getting that whole generation to buy in whilst also having this base which is somewhat exclusive? This is the a big question that a lot of people, especially in the West, especially in, in, in Australia, every story about Modi has an asterisk, at least the stories in the West, an asterisk talking about his communal past and, and various tensions in India. I think it's important to stress that Modi did not run on, at least not ostensibly run on a Hindu nationalist platform. Different people argue over his motivations for this, but it was very clear in all of his speeches that he was focusing on a pro-development, anti-corruption, moving India forward, 
corporation uh, business favorable platform. And it's clear that I, I think really this is what most people were voting for. And obviously we all hope that, that he can be successful in moving India forward. Uh, a concern that some people have stated, which is not a concern that I share that much, is that if he somehow fails to deliver, there's no way he can deliver on all the promises he's had or the promises people have for him. And that's, that's clear. But the fear is that then he'll draw more on this Hindu nationalist feeling in order to stay in power. I don't see how he could do that. And I wouldn't expect him to, because he's well aware of what people are voting for and why they did. And I don't think voters would put up with that, actually. It's my own feeling. He runs the risk, I guess, of the, um, I guess you could call it the kind of Obama phenomenon where you had in his first term a huge, particularly young supporter base with, in many respects, kind of unrealistic expectations Extremely as to what he, could, what he could deliver that then got very jaded. And, okay, he got up the second time round, but his presidency in many respects has been one of, of um, kind of underwhelming delivery on unrealistic expectations. Well, supposedly Modi won't have some of the same problems that Obama had in that he has a majority. I mean, they're definitely in power now, so they would hope that that means they can implement their agenda without too much opposition. Again, with no formally named opposition leader, I don't know if they may make some arrangement where there is one, but they would think that they hopefully wouldn't have that problem. So what sort of government would you anticipate? I mean, you've sort of been hinting at he's campaigned on pro-growth, low corruption, business-friendly, outward-looking, economically focused. You think that's going to be the priorities of the government? That's where they're going to... Absolutely, these are priorities. If he doesn't deliver on this very quickly in a way that he can show the people that things are happening, look how quickly the voters turned on Congress. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think the BGP is well aware that this could happen to them. So we'll see. I mean, he calls it his Gujarat model of development. He was chief minister of Gujarat. I mean, Gujarat's always been a, a prosperous state in comparison to other nations. They're right on the seaboard. Uh, so trade is extremely important there. Um, but we'll see a, a pro-business pro-development government, I mean, his critics would say the, the relaxation of certain environmental standards, um, making it easier for corporations to buy up land. These are things that one could argue with, but in general, they're good for business. Um, they're good for trade with other countries, and this is going to be his his main focus for sure. Yeah, I think Amartya Sen's come out on the record as saying, you know, we need to look more at the human side of the development of the Gujarat story. No one looks at numbers like he does, and he, he has laid bare the inequality that is a huge part of India's development, and Gujarat is a good example of that, where people are being left behind at quite a strong rate. So that's one of the big questions for Modi's government. But of course, people also voted for him, hoping that he could address these issues as well. Poverty was one of the number one issues on voters' minds. I guess to, to link the story around the economy and, and Modi and to think about India's place in the world, I was at a conference last week where Modi was described as India's Abe. So that's to say a right-wing nationalist who is going to ruffle feathers internationally whilst basically trying to take the standing of the country up a notch or two on the international league table. So do you think, do you think that's a reasonable kind of parallel or do you think he's going to be focused principally on the internal story around economic development. He's only going to be focused on the internal story because this is all of the number one issues facing India are internal, but India's internal story has huge ramifications for the rest of the world. But in terms of relations with other countries, I think in, in some ways, well, we always talk about the India-US relation. Everyone wonders, well, just look what happened on Twitter. We got John Kerry... <laughs> congratulates Narendra Modi, and he's took a while to reply to John Kerry. Uh, he took a while to mention, sure, Barack Obama called me. And I think the, the general feeling in, in India, uh, and definitely in, in Modi's party, is that we don't need to go to the US anymore. I think we can wait for them to, to come to us. And do you think that relationship, though, that's been established for a while, really started under 
was it about 2005, where they basically said it's okay on the nuclear bomb test. Uh, do you think that's going to continue, or do you think they'll try to keep a little bit of distance? I'd have, I have. I don't know. The the clearly there, there have been some tensions in the U.S. India relationship in the past few months. Mm-hmm. They've been at at a low. There was one little diplomatic flare-up, which was blown out of proportion, but I think was indicative of, of bigger problems. Uh, Modi, until very recently, wouldn't have even been able to get a visa to the United States because of his questions over his uh, past role in, in violence in his state. This restriction has been, been lifted. Uh, the United States said the Supreme Court basically cleared Modi. So there's an effort clear on the U.S. to, to open the doors. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear from fairly early on in the campaign that the Americans were going to be quite content to break bread with uh, Narendra Modi. It would have been a shock if they hadn't, mm. yeah. Any sense of how they're going to approach China? Because I think that's the big question, I think, from a foreign policy point of view. US, okay, that's a manageable relationship. But with China, the sort of, they've got a disputed border bit of a rivalry going on, but a very good economic relationship. Yeah, I'd see him focusing on the, the economic partnership. I don't think this new government has any desire to antagonize, and I think they're looking to promote trade and promote economy. He's going to be looking at China. He also sees Japan very favorably, uh, either in, in working with them and also following their model. I do not imagine that this new government trying to escalate any of these tensions at least. Fantastic. That's all the time we have uh, today. Thank you, Ian, for a great discussion of India's election, and we look forward to reconvening in a few months time to see how it's all traveling absolutely thanks nick meanwhile you can follow ian on his twitter account at ia wolford you can also follow me on my twitter account to find out how, all the things that we're doing here at the trobe asia at nick bisley thanks for listening